everybody, and welcome to The Pulse, our AAPC podcast, where we talk about all different aspects of the business side of healthcare. My name is Lori Cox. I'm one of the um, directors here at AAPC Services, and I have a colleague with me today, Desiree Diggins-Brooks. Welcome, Desiree. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Lori. Glad to be here. So Desiree and I have had lots of conversations around revenue cycle management. So we thought we would put a podcast together and talk about um, some of the aspects. So let's just jump right in and start very beginning, um, broad-based, high-level overview of what we consider RCM to be. So Desiree, why don't you explain like a high-level overview of how, when we say RCM, what do we mean? So in short, we're just talking about all of the administrative and clinical functions um, that contribute to uh, the patient service revenue, right? So charge capture, management, and collections. Right. From the very moment that that patient makes an appointment to the, well, we would like to say to the time that the claim gets paid, but we know that um, payers can come back, you know, months later and be like, whoops, sorry, (laughs) we didn't mean to pay you. We're going to take our money back. So there's several key components of RCM. So let's start with the very first one, which is that patient makes that appointment. So what are some of the things that we see during that registration and the scheduling process? So during registration and scheduling, you're going to do your base level paperwork. Like, who are you? And um, if you're having any issues and what insurance do you have? Um, And then we'll see uh, the practice doing benefit and eligibility verification of those things, as well um, as um, explaining to the patient what kind of payment they should be expecting. Right, which is all really super important because if, excuse me, if they don't get that insurance eligibility information or if they don't get it entered correctly, then we don't get paid, right? Or the client or the practice, whoever it is, they don't get payment. So it's very important that that information is captured right off the bat. Yes. Well, sometimes it's that you don't get paid at all. And other times is that the payment is delayed. Neither one of which we uh, we like. Right. Um, so, yes, it is very important. Absolutely. So the patient makes the appointment, they come in, registration does their job. And then the next thing is what I think we focus a lot on, especially in audit services, is that documentation. Right. We've got to have good medical record documentation. Medical recommendation medical record documentation is everything, right? So if it's not documented, it didn't happen. As coders, we all know that, right? Um, And we try to press that into our providers um, that if you don't document it, I can't code it and therefore you cannot be paid. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there's so many little key pieces, I think, that we always talk about in that documentation that are necessary. It's not just that they need to get the documentation to support their level of service. It's what are they doing for that patient, right? That's a legal document. Exactly. So, right. if they, so yeah, absolutely. If they don't get that stuff done, um, we can't bill for it or we can, but it may not be done correctly or we're missing revenue, right? If they do exactly. a procedure and they don't document it, then we've lost we've lost revenue there. So very important, probably one of the biggest important things in RCM, in my opinion, anyway. 
Well, there without this documentation, there is no revenue. So yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even I think it's important because we talk about revenue, um, but even non-for-profit needs to be profitable, right? They have right. to be generating some type of revenue. Exactly. So we need to make sure that everybody understands it's not about making money, but you can't keep a practice going without having a really good revenue cycle. Exactly. Okay. So then we get the documentation and then the next step is what? The claims, correct? Correct. So now that we have this documentation, we go into um, the portion where we actually turn that documentation into um, a claim. And so we're looking at that to see what the provider actually did, what supported there. And um, this claim on a CMS 1500 or UB4 form is then submitted to the insurance company for a payment. Or we hope <laughs> for payment. Hopefully for payment. Right. And that's what we intend when we send it out. <laughs> <laughs> Before the claim goes out, um, there are several different little processes that come into place. A lot of EMRs have built-in claim scrubbers, right? So they can look for some things, but they can't capture everything. Right. So there are claim edits that can be built into your um, into your EMR systems or your practice management systems um, that allow uh, the flagging of rules that you have created yourself or basic NCCI edits um, or other rules that are known for your particular payers. Um, With that, you get the opportunity to make sure that your claims are clean going out the door. And that is an important factor in revenue. Clean claims out the door means uh, your revenue is coming in faster. If the payer is asking you for additional documentation, if they are denying your claims, um, all of those things will create uh, slow revenue, which again, we don't like to see, right? Right. We want our claims to turn around as fast as possible and get the income in the door. Absolutely. So the more um, claim scrubbers or edits that you can computerize, right? Build into your system, that's helpful. And it saves the time and process of of a coder or a biller or an auditor trying to go in and manually do those things. Correct. Right. Now, as we said, though, they're not perfect. And um, I had an old computer teacher years ago that would um, tell us, I think she called it Gijo or Gigo, maybe. I'm not sure, but it was garbage in, garbage out. So you're the person that's putting those claim edits into that system. You better make sure you're putting them in correctly. (laughs) Otherwise, you're going to have problems. Exactly. So to date, computers are only as smart as we can make them. <laughs> um, and so it is important to have the most updated um, edits, the most updated guidelines and policies from your insurance payers. Um, all of those things are necessary uh, in your system when diagnosis codes change, when CPT codes change, all of those things are necessary um, to be sure that you get your claim out clean the first time. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Okay. So then our claim goes out the door and cross our fingers, it gets paid. Um, So let's talk a little bit about that process. A lot of the payments these days come in electronically. You don't get a check in the mail, right? 
Right. So a lot of those payments come in electronically or denials in some cases, <laughs> but they're on your remittance advice. Um, and with that, a lot of times there's automatic posting through your systems, but it is necessary to verify that they have posted correctly. So um, oftentimes we get um, remittance advice from, say, Medicare, where they have reprocessed a claim for whatever reason. And so they have it in and out. Computer systems don't always post those correctly. Mm-hmm. There may end up being over or under payments on your um, in your system based on those in and outs that the um, remittance advice shows. And you'll need to go in and enter those appropriately and balance your um, end of day books. Absolutely. Um, and you made a good point there when you were talking about how um, computer systems don't always process those correctly, right? So um, they go into the computer system and sometimes the, the EMR can process it and put the payment where it's supposed to, but that doesn't always happen. <clears throat> and so right. we end up with a claim that gets paid that wasn't paid and we're trying to find payment for the other claim and it becomes a big mix up. But um, if you have someone that's very knowledgeable in that area, then they can kind of oversee that process and make sure that claims are getting paid and getting paid correctly. Because um, if an insurance company underpays a claim, how would you know, right? If the claim goes in electronically. Um, Again, that's part of um, those updates that you make to your system. Um, You want to put in your fee schedules. Putting your fee schedules are so important. It makes sure that you get paid what you're supposed to be paid from each and every payer. And it identifies it automatically if you are not. Or at least you can go in and have someone look to ensure that you're being paid what you're supposed to be paid for each and every claim. Right. Absolutely. Very important. Um, okay, so we got our payment. And then the next one is when we don't get the payment, when we get a denial. So this is a very important process. And I get, um, I've had clients come to us and tell us, yeah, we don't really uh, look at our denials. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> so the dreaded, dreaded denials, we don't like to get zero payment back from anybody, right? Um, that said, uh, with the state of Uh, the world today, it is very difficult to find people um, that have time to work the denials. A lot of practices Mm -hmm. um, find denials costly Mm -hmm. um, to find somebody to work them is costly to the practice, Um, not understanding how much more costly it is not to work them. Right. Um, It can be um, as much as $25 per denial. Mm -hmm. Um, And so sometimes it doesn't seem like it is worth it, but it definitely is. Um, and there are a lot of things that you can learn from working denials that will create clean claims in the future. So it is ideal to have at least one person um, taking a look at those. I agree because I feel like um, working those denials pays that person itself, right? The money that comes from those denials, especially if you're in like a surgical practice. Exactly, right? So uh, one of the things that um, you have to do is uh, weigh the pros and cons and don't just say, you know, hey, this is this is costly. I'm not going to do it because ultimately, like you said, it could pay for itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is you're going to learn so much 
about your payers, their guidelines, um, what changes are happening um, in your industry, all by those denials. Absolutely. And then you can build your system or your edits if you need to, or provide education to the doctors and say, you know, this company wants us to do this before we do this, right? So you can kind of get those steps into place to get the clean claim out next time. Exactly. Okay. So then um, we've got the insurance payment now, uh, may, maybe even goes out to a secondary payer and we get that. And then we need to collect from the patient, which when I started in healthcare, that was one of the first things that I did was patient collections. I did not like it. I was not good at it at all, um, but it is a necessary part of healthcare. Uh, we see a lot of clients that just... Um, Sometimes they just kind of write those things off. And I, I'm not sure why. I guess they have their reasons. So back-end collections can be tough, right? A lot of people avoid back-end collections. But it, it can be, you know, 30% of your profits. It can be, you know, significant, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with now the high deductible plans that are out. Uh, a lot of people uh, are supposed to pay out of pocket first before the insurance will pick up. Mm-hmm. So it's important really to collect this money in advance if you can, or at least have a payment plan. If you know that the patient has a high deductible and you can avoid some of the, the frustration of back-end collections. But if you don't, that doesn't mean give up. It doesn't mean you have to write it off. Uh, you just have to develop a plan. Right. Uh, and so once your claims have gone through the entire process of, you know, being billed and processed by insurance, they'll let you know, hey, this patient is going to owe you X amount of dollars. And you start getting your statements together, right? You send your statements, have those followed up by in-house collection with possibly a phone call um, at a set amount of time. And um, just just work with the patients when they're coming in, your front desk is asking for for the payment or asking for payment plans from that patient. Um, And if all else fails, then you can um, introduce a collections company that can assist you. I agree. Good conversation so far. So we're going to take a quick break. Um, And when we come back, we we did a case study here at AAPC Services. Um, We're going to discuss that. So we'll be back in just a few minutes. are you safeguarding against errors that put your organization at risk? At AAPC Services, we leverage our deep expertise in over 80 medical specialties. We create tailored solutions that drive accuracy, profitability, and peace of mind for healthcare organizations of every size. And when it comes to the accuracy you depend on, we leave nothing to chance. Your project will undergo our multi-tier quality review process, ensuring you meet your goals and we maintain our enterprise-wide 98% accuracy rate. Learn more at aapc.com business. Okay, welcome back to The Pulse, where Desiree and I have been having some interesting discussions around revenue cycle management, but I think this is going to be really eye-opening for a lot of people. So 
We did a case study um, a while back. I think it was January through September, right, of 2022. So Desiree, why don't you lay down the background of our case study? So we did a case study on a multi-specialty healthcare organization with 48 physicians. Um, Those physicians were doing their own coding and they had a small group of non-certified billers that were viewing edits and working denials for them. They came to us with um, basically unsure of what their revenue cycle really looked like, Um, unclear whether it was uh, holding up to industry standards because they weren't using their system to post things uh, correctly. So they had no way of pulling the appropriate data out. We worked with them to get that data um, situated, and then we provided them with a 12-point revenue cycle audit. Uh, 10 charts per provider. Um, And we reviewed those cases both in the year 2021 and 2022. Right. So they came to us and it it was a big mess, really. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's probably putting it mildly, but um, right. So they, and I want to again, emphasize the fact that they had non-certified billers Uh, They did not have certified coders and that the physicians were doing their own coding, which happens a lot in a lot of medical practices. However, physicians are not coders and they're not trained to be coders. So I want to just just got to give a plug out there to all of us certified coders. Right. Because we are so important in the revenue cycle. Yes, we are. So we did a 12-point revenue cycle audit. We audited all the NM codes, CPT codes, modifiers, units, ICD-10, um, and we did, what, 10 charts per provider? Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Um, and then we kind of looked at everything from the front-end collections to the edits to the denials and everything. So let's talk a little bit about what what we at AAPC services, what we found for them. So they had some error rates, right? Um right. 23%, I think, um, just in demographic information that wasn't entered correctly. Is that right? So, yes, their demographic information, they were not um, getting current forms, getting current HIPAA forms, getting current um, uh, demographic information. Um, so everything was outdated. And outdated information means errors in mm-hmm. your revenue cycle process. Right. So, so it was bad. <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. Um, and they weren't doing um, eligibility right off the bat either. Correct. Is that right? So they had a process by which they were running the eligibility in the background, but they didn't actually have anybody taking a look at it. So running the eligibility is something that the system can do automatically, but it's worth nothing if you don't actually. Right. <laughs> Right. Um, Okay. And so there were some other things, um, places of service and coding, obviously, wasn't accurate. Correct. We have some breakdowns, don't we, of the coding? Okay. So their E&M accuracy rate was that now this is, this was before we came in and did our thing. It was like 69%, right? Right. 3% over, 20% under. Under, and uh, people, I think, focus a lot on overcoding, but undercoding is significant. I mean, that's just a whole bunch of revenue that's lost. Exactly. 
Exactly. So we physicians are afraid of overcoding, yes. right? Because insurance company is going to come back. They're they're going to flag us. We're going to be under review under the scope, right? That said, you can't stay in a nine nine two one three pocket, or a, <laughs> right. you know, a level three pocket in the safe space, right? Because at at a certain point, you're costing yourself money. You're costing mm-hmm. your organization money. Absolutely. And you're right. And we have to remember that they've had, you know, 20 some years since 1995 of having those old guidelines, right, for EM. And they've got to unthink that process and get on board with the new way of medical decision making our time. Right. So 2021, I think, is is of benefit to physicians if they can get on board um, the the new guidelines. And even here in 2023 with the updates, um, it's most beneficial to providers because it keys into the way that they think. So if they can actually get on board with less counting points and more just telling us about the process in which they made their decision, it's worth it um in their revenue cycle. Absolutely. So they they were undercoding. We came in, we did some education, some auditing, um, and I believe we got them up to what was it, 80%? 80 percent? 80 percent, yes. So it's not quite where we want to see them. I think you know we can push them a little harder and you know Hopefully in 2023, get them above and beyond that 80%. We will be um, taking a look at them. But I mean, we're talking about the difference in 11%. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's revenue. That's money in the door as long as the claims are clean. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, it it is definitely a significant improvement. And it was beneficial to them having us come in and do it because we provided that outside, you know, um, I think sometimes when you're an internal auditor, you kind of get in your little uh, area of, okay, we know this doctor. And when he says this, that's what he means. But then you have an external auditor come in and they're like, no, (laughs) that's not how that's supposed to go. Exactly. So when you're in the office, you kind of buy into the the provider's ideals and they will come to you and they will say, hey, when I say this, this is what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so that works internally. However, if ever you were um, audited by Medicare or a, additional documentation was requested from one of your payers, is that information that the doctor intends sufficient enough for payment. And that's where we come in and we take a look at, hey, this wording is just not enough. Right. Right. And that was, and so that what that's 11% that we're talking about was just EM. But we did, you know, surgery, other CPT codes too. And I think they scored 84%. So a little bit better, still not you know, within a good, I mean, 90% and above is really where everybody should be, in my opinion. And I know every practice has their own guidelines on, you know, what their pass and fail rates are. Um, But yeah, I think it was 84% on their CPT. They had 11% of codes that were just incorrect. But even more than that, they had 5% we added because they missed billing a CPT code, right? Right. And so again, that's lost revenue. Those that five percent is um, 
money that they could have brought in over those two years that they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is good also to have audits to see um, what could we be doing that we had no clue about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then moving in, I mean, we had some modifier issues. I know they had some of those as well, especially, I mean, modifier 25 and 59, those are always the hot topics, ones that I always talk about anyway. Um, We were able to help them with that. And then their ICD-10, which we don't always think of ICD-10 as money unless you're in risk adjustment, right? But risk adjustment is now a hot topic, right? (laughs) (laughs) everybody's getting into it, inpatient, outpatient, everybody's doing risk adjustment. And um, specificity is the thing. It's the key to risk adjustment, right? Absolutely. We want to be as specific as possible. And we want to capture all diagnoses that affect care. Mm -hmm. Um, So with that, in this particular case, we ended up adding 3%. Um, It doesn't sound like a lot, but depending on the size of your organization, it could be quite a bit. Right. More specificity um, could end up bringing you in a lot more revenue based on the risk models that you are um, participating in. Absolutely. And going back to the clean claims, you know, if you've got a diagnosis code on there that's unspecified, we always heard those rumors that, you know, payers were going to deny claims if you're using unspecified codes. Um, Right. Especially when, you know, if it's like pain in the foot and it says unspecified foot, well, I'm sure it was just a click error, right? You know, like they didn't get to the right foot or the left foot in the box that the diagnosis code is listed in. I think that happens quite a bit. Exactly. So it's important uh, for providers to have education if they are um, the person doing the coding, they do need to understand um, that you there's a base, right? An unspecified code. But if you have more information, then keep going, right? Mm-hmm. Don't just take whatever the system gives you. Right. Absolutely. And yeah, you're right. Risk adjustment is a hot topic. We've done a couple podcasts on it, I believe, if I can remember correctly. And there's always a lot of articles, but definitely, um, definitely a hot topic. And then back to the modifiers we were talking about, I think a lot of that had to do with telehealth. Am I right on that? Yes. So telehealth uh, was the scary point for us for <laughs> the, uh, several years, right? Yes. Since, since the PHE started, uh, telehealth got uh, more intense. A lot of more, a lot more providers were trying to use it to avoid uh, COVID. And then it became something that they liked. So they wanted to do it more and more, right? It's it's easier for some providers to see patients via telehealth and allows them to see more patients um, more often, right? So um, with that, we found with all of the varying guidelines between payers, it was difficult uh, for a lot of providers in this uh, particular client mm-hmm. struggled with telehealth a lot based on, um, so telehealth can include video and audio only calls as well as asynchronous, <clears throat> excuse me, um, chats, right? Mm-hmm. So they were doing telehealth via telephone, audio only. 
some payers were allowing for the 99214s or basic office visits to be paid at the same rate, and you could code using those codes for audio only. However, Medicare was not one of those payers, Mm -hmm. and they have their specific um, codes, phone codes that they would like you to use. Um, And so they ran into an issue where they were doing audio only calls uh, for Medicare patients and billing um, using office visit. Right. Um, I think that's been, you're right. It's been a big problem. Um, It was a little bit of an issue even before the PHE. And then of course COVID hit and everything ramped up and everything went to telehealth and um, we kept having new guidelines. So I think I wrote a telehealth article and the very next day I had to rewrite it because they changed everything. Right. Right. And so over time, this has gone back and forth. And even now with the PHE um, said to end here soon, we are going to find that these guidelines are going to change again. Yes. And so it is most important um, to stay up to date, to do um, updated webinars, attend webinars, listen um, to podcasts like this one, um, all of those different things to follow what the guidelines currently are, what the changes are, what's going to be made permanent, because some of these rules will be made permanent um, and you can continue using those after the PG. Yep, absolutely. Um, You're right. I think we're going to see even more and more. um, So staying on top of those. And this goes back again to our plug for having certified coders that can watch that kind of stuff, right? Through our AAPC website and and having AAPC services come in and help with audits and education too. Exactly. And we can do um, updated training for your providers, for your coders, Mm -hmm. um, for your billers, your entire team. In fact, um, we can do um, remote live trainings um, where you can invite all of the staff in or as many as necessary um, to get that information. Absolutely. I like that. So in the very end, um, we helped this company pretty significantly, right? They, they're doing better and they have still room for improvement, which we're going to continue to help them with. Um, but they would never have known had they not made the decision to do something about their revenue cycle, right? Right. Um, and in the end, they basically made a decision to have us um, continue to work for them doing quarterly audits. Um, we're also working towards um, um, their edits and denial process. They did do some outsourcing um, on the back end. And yeah, all of those things came from the insight that they received from this particular audit. Interesting. I'm glad that um, we were able to do that for them and share that with um, other people so that uh, they can learn how important this this overall revenue cycle process is. Awesome. Well, um, I think that's all we have for today. Thank you very much, Desiree, for joining me. Thank you for having me. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Pulse. At AAPC Services, we help healthcare organizations like yours maximize efficiency, mitigate risk, and prevent revenue loss. 
Our credentialed experts provide services for insurance audit appeals, coding and billing accuracy, accounts receivable audits, corporate integrity audits, and much more. Find out how we can help your organization overcome challenges and meet its goals. Learn more at aapc.com business.